The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. In some cases, we won't know the winner of the election for a few days. We are going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career. Don't get lazy. Don't feel like this is in the bag. Get out there and, and make your make your voice heard. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Herschel Walker is neither ready nor fit to represent the people of Georgia. They said make America great again. Like That is a bad turn. Have y'all heard of Ricky Bobby? So I think if Democrats can keep the losses in the low 20s, that is a good night. Well, she had five, a margin of five. And they got a lot done. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Now it's up to you. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics on what is Christmas Day for wonks like us. Election Day 2022, here we are, and you know we've got you covered on Sound On with reports from battlegrounds across America. For this next hour, we'll hear from Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons in Pennsylvania, from Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow in Arizona, national political reporter Mark Niquette in Ohio tonight, and Bloomberg's Billy House in Georgia, the states that will decide the balance of power, and of course, our signature panel in place to help make sense of it all. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here for the hour and back with us for special election night coverage. The headline at 538 says it all. The forecast is more or less back where it started. Nate Silver writing on this election day that when they launched midterms in their forecast on June 30, Republicans had a 53% chance of taking over the Senate from Democrats and an 87% chance of taking over the House. He writes, we could almost have turned off our servers and let the forecast stand. Today, Republicans have a 59% chance of winning the Senate and 84% chance of winning the House. And we've got a lot of toss-ups around the country. This is going to be a late night, an early morning, a long week, and potentially a long month as we wait for results from states, including Pennsylvania, which is where we find Kaylee Lyons. We're going to be hearing from the best minds in politics at Bloomberg over the course of the hour. Kaylee is in Philadelphia right now. John Fetterman, of course, and Dr. Oz. This is one that we have been tracking very closely right through the big rally over the weekend with Donald Trump. Closing arguments from the candidates today. Sometimes I'm going to miss some words. Sometimes I'm going to mush two words together. But one thing I absolutely will always get right is making sure that we stand for the important things in Washington, D.C. The Lieutenant Governor, John Fetterman, still recovering from a stroke and speaking to supporters earlier, Dr. Oz, as well. Within a point now, again, endorsed by Donald Trump, the Republican, trying not to fully embrace him at times, though found himself on stage with Trump over the weekend. Pennsylvania is sending a very clear message to Washington. We want less radicalism and more balance. So I encourage everyone to vote. Less radicalism, he says, as he went out to vote himself. Kaylee Lyons, again, is in Philadelphia and has been reporting all day there. Kaylee, it's great to have you with us. This is one of the states. And, of course, we could say that about a couple of them that could decide the balance of power in the Senate. 
It is. And the reason why is because the Senate seat in question is that of retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey. So this is seen as the Democrats' best opportunity to flip a seat. Of course, John Fetterman would have to win in order for that to happen. And as you alluded to, this is an incredibly, incredibly tight race. Fetterman had been leading for pretty much the duration of the campaign. But in recent weeks, after a debate performance in which he really on full display showed he is still struggling from the effects of that uh, stroke you mentioned earlier, it mm-hmm. tightened materially. And 538 now has Oz ahead by about half of 1%. So this is absolutely <laughs> going to be a nail biter. But Joe, we're not actually going to know who ultimately won this race, probably for several days. Pennsylvania is a state in which they can't begin counting mail-in ballots until 7 a.m. on election day. So this morning, and election officials have warned they will not have all of those ballots counted tonight or even necessarily tomorrow. And as we know, Joe, the majority of mail-in ballots tend to be Democratic. 1.2 million mail-in ballots have been returned here in Pennsylvania. Of those, about 70 percent were from registered Democrats. So that could be why we may see a red mirage effect where when in-person voting is made public more quickly, those results, it Mm -hmm. could look more red. And as the mail-in ballots begin to be counted, it could turn more blue. And of course, there's a lot of legal issues around mail-in ballots in this state as well. After the state Supreme Court ruled last week that unless the date was printed on the outside of the envelope, that ballot could not be be counted. Fetterman and other uh, national Democratic groups has filed a lawsuit to challenge that. So there could be a lot of litigation around this. And Joe, we may be talking about this race and what the result of it could be for days to come. Yeah. Well, yeah, you ought to get comfortable up there. It's awfully nice this time <laughs> of year, uh, Kaylee. You guys, you could call this a week by the time we're done. But, you know, we saw this race start to narrow before uh, following the stroke and before the debates when a lot of money went in uh, for Dr. Oz, a lot of ads uh, that really focused on issues like crime. Is that what you're hearing people talk about? Yeah, it definitely is top of mind for a lot of voters. And Oz has been really pushing the narrative that Fetterman is soft on crime, highlighting his role on the board of paroles and commuting sentences. Fetterman, of course, says he just is about giving people second chances. But crime front and center here in Philadelphia as well, where just days ago over the weekend in the Kensington neighborhood, there was a mass shooting in which nine people were injured. So it's definitely a big issue for voters, as is abortion. I was outside of polls here in Philadelphia, which of course is heavily Democratic leaning, talking to voters about what they were thinking about as they went into the polling station. And a lot of them said women's reproductive rights. So that is top of mind too. And as well as we know, true here in Pennsylvania and really across the country, the economy and inflation also weighing heavily on the minds of the American people on this election day. Kaylee, thank you. Joining us live from Philadelphia, and we'll see you starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time in our special election night coverage, turning our attention to what's happening as well in Arizona, another awfully important state here that uh, has has kind of worked its way to the top of the conversation here following allegations of fraud by Carrie Lake, of course, the Republican gubernatorial candidate uh, backed by Donald Trump. I woke up this morning and within minutes of the polls opening up, I started getting people calling voters in tears calling my personal number saying what's going on the tabulators aren't working they told me to put my my ballot into a box and they would drive it downtown to county this is not normal stuff kind of an interesting concept here now i'm I'm pretty sure that that everyone has a specific precinct that they're set to vote in but she says they went to another precinct where the machines were more trustworthy we switched from a republican area to vote we came right down into the heart of liberal phoenix to vote because we wanted to make sure that we had good machines and guess what They've had zero problems with their machines today. She went on to say that there would be a come to Jesus about uh, voting law in Arizona. 
Very unclear what in the world that means. And it's a good thing we have Ed Ludlow on the ground right now in Phoenix. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow there to cover all of the races that we're going to be tracking tonight. And Ed, I appreciate you're giving us some time. Can you tell us what in the world actually is happening in Maricopa County? Yeah, I think it's it's worth stating in the first instance that the, the claims Carrie Lake is making about elections fraud are unsubstantiated. And actually, Maricopa County elections officials have been out ahead of this for most of the day. Very early on, on Tuesday, they said they'd identified 20% of voting locations that were having tabulation issues, where if a ballot does not successfully get passed through the tabulator, the, the electronic machine, there's redundancy in those machines. If a ballot is not passed through successfully, it can be added to a safe box built into the tabulator, removed okay. after polls closed, which is 7 p.m. local here, and then tabulated manually. But specifically addressing one of Lake's claims about the locations, if yeah. a voter who's already checked in casts a ballot that is not successfully passed through a tabulator, they could actually check out and elect to go and cast their ballot at another location if they so choose under the laws of this state. So Maricopa County has been communicating this pretty concisely for a number of hours now. And they say they found a fix for the tabulators that are being impacted. And she says, uh, Carrie Lake, that that, uh, she's going to be journalist's worst nightmare for the next eight years. Have you bumped into her yet? Do you have something to worry about? You know, I've not bumped into her face to face. I've seen plenty of videos that she and, and her, yes. the rest of the media have followed. I mean, I think what's really interesting, right, is that there's a really tight Senate race here in Arizona. Yes. And, and the Republican Party is confident that they can tip the balance of the 50-50 Senate split here in Arizona through Blake Masters, who's really mm-hmm. narrowed the gap. But really, it's the, it's the gubernatorial, the governor's race that is putting Arizona on the map. Because if Carrie Lake wins, a big part of her campaigning has been based on unsubstantiated claims that Democrats stole the 2020 presidential election. And a big part of the strategy, if she's successful, is to keep that narrative going into the 2024 presidential election. And of course, we expect next week uh, former President Trump to make a special announcement. Carrie Lake is a Trump Mm -hmm. GOP candidate, and she's made no secret of that. And may well be his running mate if he runs again ed thanks so much we'll see you in our special election night coverage starting 8 p.m eastern time ed ludlow live from phoenix i'm looking at mr arizona right now that would be rick davis and Jeannie shanzano is here of course we couldn't do this broadcast without our signature panel rick after everything you've heard and i know you've been in touch with your sources in arizona is it that carrie uh lake would like to uh create a narrative if she wins or if she loses Well, she famously declared fraud when she won the primary. And so she won, and it was still a fraudulent election. Mm -hmm. We know, as you say, she claimed fraud in the 2020 election. And my guess is she'll claim fraud if she wins or loses uh, in this general election. So uh, I do know that the Democrats have done a really good job of getting early voters in a a percentage that they typically don't get. In Mm -hmm. other words, they were exceeding. Uh, their standard amount, which Mm -hmm. means that it puts a little bit more pressure on Carrie Lake's campaign to turn out the vote on Election Day today. And they've been telling people all throughout this election, don't vote early. Right. And so that's even added more pressure to today. So I I can imagine that if uh, the machines aren't working correctly and your entire uh, campaign strategy was have people show up on Election Day, 
uh, you're feeling like you're under enormous pressure. Yeah. Well, she had some things to say about journalists as well, uh, Jeannie, as you might have heard. I'm going to do two terms. I'm going to be your worst freaking nightmare. So is that that's the way to, to work the base in the media, right? You're making friends already. <laughs> that is, she is going to be your worst nightmare, yeah. Joe Matthew. Well, I, all of us. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is much of a surprise. Uh, we've had 45 million Americans vote early, many of them by mail, some of them in person. As Rick just mentioned, her strategy has been same-day voting for her yes. uh, her supporters. And when you're in that situation, there is a real concern when, as Kaylee mentioned, in a state like Pennsylvania, 70% of those early turnout voters are Democrats. So she's got to get her base out to vote and they've got to have machines on which to do it 45 million it's an incredible number rick and Jeannie with us we turn to ohio next this is bloomberg the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg join heads of state influential ministers and leading ceos to make new connections gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions request your invite for this exclusive event at cuttereconomicforum.com this is bloomberg sound on with joe matthew on bloomberg radio on to battleground ohio although it's not quite the battleground it used to be trending red quite a bit lately and that's a good thing for jd vance who actually has cleared a couple points in the polls in his race against congressman tim ryan jd vance out today to cast a vote well of course for himself something he's never done before pretty cool feeling for a guy who's never run for office before uh, to cast cast a ballot for yourself in a general election i guess for the first time uh, it's a very good feeling, but I feel very good about today. We'll see how it goes, but I'm feeling pretty confident. And we bring you to Ohio right now with Bloomberg National Politics reporter Mark Niquette. Continuing our stretch across the country, Mark, you've been writing about a number of different races. This one is awfully important when we consider, again, the balance of power in the Senate. And in this case, an attempt by Democrats to flip a seat that looked more promising a couple of weeks ago. What's the latest here? Yeah, this was a seat that Republicans thought at the beginning of the cycle would be safe. Uh, it's replacing retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman. And as you said, uh, Ohio's been trending Republican. Donald Trump won the state uh, twice pretty easily. Uh, but the Democrat, Tim Ryan, really made it a competitive race. He uh, outraised and outspent J.D. Vance. Um, he ran a campaign uh, running against his party and uh, trying to appeal to moderates and independents. Um, but in the, in the last few weeks here, the, the polls have shown that J.D. Vance uh, has, has opened up a lead. And while Tim Ryan uh, is still projecting confidence that he can pull an upset here, hmm. uh, the Republicans are pretty confident uh, Vance is going to win tonight pretty comfortably. Yeah, that's really incredible. I mean, this is somebody who would not be nominated without Donald Trump, right? I mean, J.D. Vance was not the pick of the establishment, yet here he is poised to win, Mark. Yeah, he was running in the middle of the pack. It was a crowded Republican primary in May. Um, and it was only with Trump's endorsement that J.D. Vance managed to, to win the nomination. Uh, in fact, he, he only also won because he had uh, support from the uh, billionaire entrepreneur Peter Thiel, who put $15 million into a super PAC that supported Vance. That was really the funding that, that carried Vance to the nomination, along with Trump's endorsement. Fascinating. Uh, we're going to be watching the governor's race as well here. That, that should not be a major problem for Governor DeWine from the way you're looking at this, right? No, the polls show that uh, DeWine is, is going to win pretty comfortably tonight. It's up by 21 uh, points at 538. 
And interestingly, there was some ticket splitting going on in Ohio, too, which which gave the, the Ryan people some hope that they could still pull an upset here, mm-hmm. where uh, the polls were much tighter in the Senate race uh, than in the governor's race. So some Republicans were, were voting for uh, DeWine, but not for Vance. Mark, thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of our coverage on a very busy day for you. Mark Niquette is Bloomberg National Politics reporter and joining us live from Ohio. Rick and Jeannie are with us now. Uh, as you consider this race, it wasn't lost on me, Jeannie, to see Tim Ryan drinking a Miller Lite out of a can on MSNBC last night as he held the can up and said cheers and asked people for their vote. He really tried to rewrite uh, the the Democratic plan here for beating a Republican in middle America. It just doesn't seem to be getting them quite far enough. What do you make of this race? Yeah, the numbers in Ohio may just be too much for him, but I think everyone who has watched this race um, has to agree that he has run, as you were just talking about, a really competitive, strong race. He may not be able to pull it over the finish line if the polls are to be believed, Mm. but he has has really, in my mind, laid out a playbook for Democrats as they struggle to try to reconnect with the working class people in the Midwest and people in the central part of the country— yeah. who they seem to have lost, this sort of working man that Joe Biden was supposed to appeal to, and they seem to have lost. And Ryan has really shown we can get these people back. And the Democrats are going to have to, if this is close, I think they're going to have to really think about why they didn't try to put more money into this race. As he has said many times when he's drinking beer and not, this race was well underfunded by the Democrats. He raised money. Yeah. Democratic Party did not put much money into it. And same thing in North Carolina. They're going to have to reconsider if Beasley is close there as well. Uh, he's uh, Vance is up by a little over six points on the composite here, 538. Uh, Rick, this really broke in favor of, of J.D. Vance. But and again, as we were discussing with Mark, this was a Trump candidate, right? This wasn't someone who was supposed to be that competitive. Yeah, I mean, when he first got into the primary, everyone thought he was sort of a nuisance candidate. And by the mm. way, he was a Trump candidate late. Mm. I mean, mm. he ran his campaign most of the way through the primary in third place. And all of a sudden, you know, Trump endorsed him and boom, here here he came on. Uh, So it does show uh, an incredible ability uh, for Trump in especially states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, where he pulled over Oz Mm -hmm. uh, the same way uh, to to impact the state's primary. The question tonight is whether or not, as Jeannie was saying, um, uh, Democrats can get more competitive in these rural blue-collar districts. And so looking in places like Putnam County, where Republicans have held a pretty big edge, it, is Ryan going to cut into that at all? If not, I'm not sure they're going to learn any lessons from the Ryan campaign so about being that. able to pull those votes. What does the, governor, uh, the governor's race do for J.D. Vance? If DeWine's going to have a big night, how does that work on the ballot, Rick? Well, it only helps Vance, right? I mean, there's no such thing as you know a uh, top-of-the-ticket candidate like uh, Mike DeWine running well ahead of his opponent uh, hurting the Republican down ticket. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to help. And uh, and so part of his cushion is the fact that he knows that he's going to get a big push mm-hmm. from the top of the ticket. And I, and I think that, frankly, that's probably one of the reasons why you've seen Republicans coming home to J.D. Vance recently, which has ballooned up his margin. One of the things Tim Ryan ran on, uh, Jeannie, was pushing back on Nancy Pelosi. Sometimes he talked about her like a Republican did up there. Do we then learn that that type of infighting does not work on the trail? 
Well, you know, he, he ran against Nancy he Pelosi. Sure he tried to knock her out as uh, head of his party, as speaker. Um, you know, this is somebody who reflects the views of the people in his home state and some moderate, independent thinking Democrats across the country. And I do think there's a lesson for Democrats to learn there as they hmm. seem to have veered too far to the left for many of the voters in these states. There's going to be a long postmortem on this one. We'll do it with Frick and Jeannie as the days pass. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. We throw the mics open on a special Election Day edition of Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. As the president himself has to remind you as well, this is the same advice we're giving everybody. Just slow down a little bit. More and more ballots are cast in early voting or by mail in America. And we know that many states don't start counting those ballots until after the polls close on November 8th. That means in some cases we won't know the winner of the election for a few days, until a few days after the election. It takes time to count all legitimate ballots in a legal and orderly manner. It's always been important for citizens in democracy to be informed and engaged. Now it's important for citizens to be patient as well. Yeah, so have patience. It's going to be, as he just said, probably days until we have a real sense of what went on tonight, but that is not going to keep us from trying to project a bit and look for early indicators, reading the tea leaves along the East Coast here and through other time zones as we make our way through the night. That's why I wanted to spend some time with Zach Cohen, who specializes in Congress and, in this case, the election of members of Congress, Bloomberg government reporter Zach. It's great to have you with us. Happy Election Day. Happy Election Day. Christmas morning for all of us wonks, as I said. Now, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about a couple of districts in Virginia. Uh, Abigail Spanberger comes to mind in the 7th District. Why is that the case? Because they are so closely contested or because of factors in their districts or both? It's a combination of a couple of different things. These, there are three really competitive races, some more than others. You've got Abigail Spamberger in the D.C. suburbs mm-hmm. watching the World Series last week. I was just bombarded with ads for that South yeah, District race. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, she's running uh, against Yesley Vega in a really contested race. And Spamberger is, is nearly not even an incumbent because of redistricting. A lot of these new lines, you know, you've got voters who are looking at new members of Congress that they mm-hmm. have never represented them before. But really, the race to really watch is, is down in Virginia Beach where uh, Congresswoman Elaine Lurie is on the January 6th committee yes. uh, is up against Jen Kiggins, the Republican there. And she looks like she's in some trouble. Yeah, I mean, the, the Virginia 2nd is really the like the median race in the country. If you look at the most competitive and the least competitive, Virginia 2nd is right down the How middle. How about that? Uh, to what extent does January 6th inform that? Because uh, Lurie has not been hiding from this. She's been running on, you know, this election is about saving democracy, where uh, her candidate, or uh, opponent rather, is telling a very different story. Yeah, I think actually Lurie is probably one of the few candidates, Democrat or Republican, that's talking about January 6th in her you know, paid media advertising because it's so intrinsically linked to her biography. And it's something that Democrats have talked about. I think something like a fifth of advertising has sort of mentioned you know, the insurrection or election denialism, what have you. Um, but certainly, you know, if, if you're going to pick one candidate that's going to really make, a, make their point uh, on, on that issue, it's going to be her. Most yeah, of the ads are yeah. focused on the economy and abortion and whatnot. Where else are you looking tonight in, in these first couple of hours? You mentioned New Hampshire. 
in mm-hmm. North Carolina as well. Yeah, New Hampshire, I think, will be interesting. There's obviously a really competitive Senate race up there. Senator Maggie Hassan is up for re-election facing Republican Don Bolduc. Um, was not really seen as very terribly competitive, but a, a lot of outside money it's has come nice in. made a move lately. Exactly. And it's one of these races where Republicans have sort of made some uh, momentum at the at the last stretch here. And in a really good Republican year, you could see Hassan, who only won by 1,000 votes in her last race, actually get kicked out of the Senate after just one term. That would tell us a lot about what's about to happen for the rest of the night, right? Exactly. And then there's a House race, too, that sort of overlaps with that, yeah. the first stitch with the Congressman Chris Pappas. That's also based in that sort of Manchester Seacoast area mm-hmm. of New Hampshire, the most populous part of the state. And so I think that uh, that state uh, is really going to hinge on that area particularly. It's pretty incredible when you think, and we've talked about this a lot with our panel over the, the months here, that you know when Chris Sununu decided not to run for that Senate seat, Republicans kind of threw it out. Said, well, geez, you know, that I guess that's the beginning of, uh, of the end here. Maybe we only get the House Don Baldick has just proven to be a very competitive force, and it really came late in the game. And I saw it when I was on the ground, actually, a couple of months ago during the primary, where establishment forces were coming in for a guy named Chuck Morse, who's the state Senate president up there, really trying to get him over the line because they thought Bolduc was, was too radical or too extreme yeah. uh, to win uh, a general election. And despite spending basically no money to win the primary and is basically spending very little money now mm-hmm. has sort of this grassroots energy. Some of it, I think, built up. He ran for Senate in 2020 against Senator Gene Shaheen and didn't do as well. He didn't get through the primary, um, but um, clearly has some sort of grassroots support in New Hampshire that has got him through the primary and potentially uh, into Senate. I understand that you have been obsessed with one particular race, <laughs> and it's one that will you'll have to talk to Rick about this after. I am a mama grizzly, and I'll rear up on my hind yeah. Somebody comes after my cubs. She's running. Sarah Palin, Alaska. What is it that has your attention? How long are we going to have to wait to uh, find th- out this one? I'm probably going to be filing stories from my in-laws' house <laughs> okay. in Michigan before Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, that's the deal, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Alaska is a, a very strange state in many ways, but one of them is the way they sort of conduct their elections. It's mm-hmm. one of the few that does ranked choice voting. When you go into the ballot box, you don't just pick your preferred candidate. You also talk about your second and your third choice. And so in Alaska, former Governor Sarah Palin uh, is running again after losing a special election this summer for uh, a House seat there. Alaska only has one House seat, uh, yeah. but it flipped to Democrats over the summer in a special election. She's making one more go of it. You've been writing about this. Palin's bid for Congress hinges on voters liking her second best and that is the deal when it comes to ranked choice. Right. So uh, I think if we see similar results as we saw in the special election, you'll see the Democrat, the incumbent Congresswoman Mary Peltola, actually get the most support mm-hmm. because there are multiple Republicans in the race, both Palin uh, and a guy named Nick Begich, who actually comes from yeah. the Begich family, um, although is a Republican and not a Democrat, uh, like the rest of his family. Uh, and so what I expect, expect to happen is that Peltola will get uh, the most on that first ballot. The real question is, do enough voters say, well, my first choice didn't get through, whether it's Nick Bagich or the Libertarian on the ticket, and then uh, vote for Sarah Palin instead. And so that will take a couple of weeks to figure out if Peltola does not win on the first ballot. What's the first story you're writing tomorrow about how we don't know who has control of Congress? I've been working on uh, all the spending that we've seen in uh, this election. Good. It's billions of dollars that have been spent, billions with a B. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, when you're talking about You've got House package. races with six, seven million dollars being spent. Exactly. I mean, hundreds of millions in some of these Senate races. Yeah. And you know, and think about it. You know, control of Congress comes down to trillions of dollars. You That's know, every two right. years. So it's not not a bad investment if you think about There's it. But it's a lot quarter of, money of a billion, I believe, in Georgia. And that's where we're going to go. Imagine that. That's where we're going to go next. Billy House will be with us from Atlanta, and we'll bring in Rick and Jeannie on the fastest hour in politics. Zach Cohen, thank you. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. He's somewhere between Raphael Warnock's election night party and Herschel Walker's. But isn't that the whole state of the race in Georgia? Too close to call a toss-up. Which one do we go to tonight? And that is the question right now for Billy House. Bloomberg Congress reporter is making his way across Atlanta, having been trailing Senator Warnock today and now headed to the Herschel Walker party, Raphael Warnock, trying to make the case in the closing hours that Herschel Walker is not your man. I mean, he thinks he's a police officer. He's not. He thinks he's an FBI agent. He's not. He thinks he was valedictorian of his class. He was not. You think he graduated from the University of Georgia? He did not. This goes on, by the way. I could do a minute of this. Another one? He said he started a business that does not even exist. Oh, that was... He has another business, he says, that has 800 employees. It only has eight. Yeah, so you get the point. This goes on, by the way, for quite a while. Uh, Herschel Walker, all the while... He's leaning into this thing. They ask me why I'm running. I'm running because I'm sick and tired of people not loving this country. And then they said, make America great again. Like that is a bad term. Have y'all heard of Ricky Bobby? <laughs> That's what they need to get back to. Is you're not first, you last, and America is not last. I can tell you that right now. All right, Billy House is going to be seeing him in just a little bit here. Billy, you a Ricky Bobby fan? Oh, yeah, aren't you? I mean, who is well, yeah, I mean, I love the movie. It took me like a couple of weeks to figure out the reference, though. It's the, if you're not well, first, yeah. you're last. I get it now. Right. He repeats it enough so you could have looked it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes I'm slow, Billy. Are you being redeployed, or are you just following both candidates today? Uh, I, I don't want to say there was ever any uncertainty, but I moved yeah. him now almost at the Herschel Walker camp. A smaller okay. venue, by the way, than the one Warnock, uh, Senator Warnock has set up. What do they have waiting for you? Uh, a cramped little bunch of uh, rows for reporters to sit by way in the back. Does that tell? Okay, this sounds fun. This is the real stuff. Okay, Billy had to get out of some hotel somewhere to go chase Herschel Walker, and this is what he's doing tonight. Uh, would that indicate maybe an early word, and then and then you go home early because we don't know how this race is going to end? I, I think that's absolutely maybe the case. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like I'm edging. Well, I am. But keep in mind, we have that caveat in Georgia that uh, the winner has to have 50 percent plus one. And and that's a wrinkle that adds to the closeness of the race as it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The closing arguments have been interesting. And I I understand uh, where Raphael Warnock is coming from as a sitting uh, senator here. He's got Democratic talking points. He's trying to poke holes in the Herschel Walker story. He's essentially calling him a liar every time he gets in front of a microphone. What's Herschel Walker's close? I mean, he's he's doing, you know, he was quoting JFK earlier today. What, what is the closing argument for the Walker campaign? Well, the closing argument is this, first of all, in response to Warnock, that uh, uh, I've opened up all my events with prayers. Uh, my people, and it is true, 
know that I've been forgiven for all my sins mm. and uh, and that I represent uh, uh, somebody who doesn't bow or kowtow to Joe Biden, yeah. does not vote with him uh, 100 percent of the time. That's kind of his comeback. But it, it seems to be working. This thing's too close to call, right? Uh, polls show that uh, actual with all of his baggage, Herschel Walker yeah. has been kind of making inroads in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Are you so. covering the governor's race uh, while you're there as well, Billy? This is one uh, that's obviously getting national attention, and Brian Kemp is looking pretty good at the moment. He is, and uh, uh, I'm not covering it directly, but I'm watching it certainly because it's going to have an impact, uh, uh, the, the experts here say, in Georgia, uh, yeah. on Herschel Walker. In other words, we're talking coattails, that's whether right. they're going to be strong enough to get him over the line or, or not. Uh, a lot of people think this is just simply going to a runoff. We'll know in a couple hours. We will know in a couple of hours. That's the 6th of December if that happens, Billy. Is that right? It is, and that's a shorter time frame than in 2021 when Raphael Warnock won a runoff uh, in January. They've condensed that, and the Democrats have suggested that that, of course, is a, a GOP move to limit organization uh, and, and voter uh, thought. But, you know, say what you want. It's a shorter period. And December 6th would be the runoff if they have one. Great uh, to talk with you, Billy. Come see us when you're back in town. Billy House, Bloomberg Congress reporter, joining us live from Atlanta on his way to the Herschel Walker party. That governor's race, by the way, 538 has Brian Kemp up by 8.7.9 points over Stacey Abrams. Uh, you were probably ahead of me on the Ricky Bobby stuff, right, Rick Davis? If you ain't first, you're last. I didn't. It took me a minute. To... If you ain't first, you're last. You know, don't talk about that phrase, trademark, not to be used outside the tradition of Ricky Bobby. I hope that Herschel Walker's paying the trademark, Jeannie. That's all I can say. <laughs> you lost me with this whole discussion <laughs> of sorry. Ricky Bobby. If Joe. you're not a NASCAR fan, you are a comedy <laughs> fan, and it is truly a funny movie. Uh, this is one that we've maybe talked at this roundtable on this panel about more than any other, Georgia Senate. Rick, how do you make sense of the closing arguments here? Does it even matter? Is this Trump versus Biden? Uh, it's a little bit of Trump versus Biden. I mean, there's no question that uh, being an incumbent senator has put Warnock on the defense mm -hmm. and he's had to, you know, uh, respond to the questions about uh, things like, you know, crime and the economy. The, the downside for Republicans is Herschel Walker really hasn't talked that much about crime and the economy. You know, he's that. talked about his history and his reputation. And, of course, he's got 100 percent name ID because he's a football superstar. That's right. And and why step on that? Um, I would say one of the things, uh, you know, Billy House was talking about this, that, you know, you've got this short period of time between the election and the runoff. Mm -hmm. and it, But you don't have Brian Kemp on the ballot at that point. Right, and he okay. said Kemp has coattails. That makes sense to me. Yeah. He's blowing out his opponent. And, and, and Herschel Walker is not going to get the benefit of those coattails come runoff. And he's going to have to earn all that vote himself. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not that poses a problem for him. You'd also have weeks uh, of listening to reminders, Jeannie, or voters certainly would, about these allegations that he paid for abortions for not one but two women at least have come forward so far. Uh, boy, t t this is a survival story so far, if nothing less. It is. And of course, we're all having flashbacks to 2020 when That's we had, as Billy said, right. live through this for you know a couple months. And we're not in yep. Georgia. I mean, imagine the 
poor voters in Georgia. This has been going on and on, inundated with millions of dollars worth of advertisements that if this goes to a runoff is going to intensify. Boy, their Thanksgiving will be impacted <laughs> by this race if it goes uh, to a runoff. Knows it. Uh, but that could also be very damaging, Rick. You remove the the top of the ticket there, Brian Kemp coattails. You get three weeks of nonstop abortion talk. Maybe another woman comes forward. We got the card. We've got the check. Gloria Allred is involved. Good lord, the walls are closing it. Yeah, and I don't even think that's the biggest impact. No? Donald Trump says he's going to be a president a week from now, oh, and then God. shows up in Georgia to oh, campaign boy. for uh, Herschel Walker. Oh, I mean, boy. he ran off two good Republican senators last time he did that. Is he going to do it again? Wow. And, and and how do you keep him from this race if he's an announced candidate for president? That okay. So let's go there. We haven't even mentioned this yet. I was going to bring it up with Mark Niquette, who was there at the J.D. Vance uh, rally. This was the Ohio rally where Donald Trump sucked all the oxygen out of the room and they were outdoors. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th. With the soundtrack. Mar-a-Lago there we in go. Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah. To admit, I thought that he would do the magic escalator thing. He loved that escalator at Trump Tower. Ricky's going to do it at Mar-a-Lago, and is that what he's talking about? I don't think they they have a sandbank. They don't have an escalator at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, sand trap would maybe. be kind of interesting. Does he come out with flip flops and you know a beer can? You know, hey, we're going to get off the beach today and run for president. That's what he's saying, though, right? Do we do we expect an announcement, Jeannie, or is he playing with you? Oh, we expect it. And I don't know, Joe Matthew, you call it, you said it was a J.D. Vance rally, but yeah. I'm not really sure. Did J.D. Vance well, even show pl- up there? I don't know that anyone saw him there. <laughs> no, so it was all that, Trump. But he's he's in good shape, right? I mean, even if Trump stepped on the headline, uh, that's going to be a very different matter to Rick's point, if this goes to a runoff in Georgia. It will. Now, so far, I can't believe I'm going to use these words in the same sentence. The Trump has been disciplined about Georgia. He has not <laughs> been down there monkeying around so far in this yeah. race. But if he does, and if there's a runoff and he does, that could have a real impact, especially if he is announced for president as mm-hmm. of Tuesday next week. We will mm-hmm. officially be in 2024 God, oh, campaigning, God. and he will be down there. And that's going to have a huge impact. And let's not forget, he's announcing in the home state of his home state now and where Ron DeSanctimonious lives. And he's (laughs) after Ron DeSantis as of today saying he's got unflattering information. He better not run. Pretty remarkable piece in the Wall Street Journal. He voted for him, Jeannie. Hours after he voted for Ron DeSantis, he started talking uh, to the Wall Street Journal about this, uh, suggesting that he's got dirt on Ron DeSantis. This is just a little preview of what might be to come. Uh, he didn't pull back on Nancy Pelosi last night either. Pelosi said, please don't call them animals. They're human beings. I said, no, they're animals. Of course, I think she's an animal, too. You want to know the truth? Wow. Big round of applause for that. Just listen to it go. They'll say, oh, what a horrible thing she said about Nancy. She impeached me twice for nothing. <laughs> nothing. They'll say, oh, these people, the fakers back there. They'll say, what a horrible thing. He called Nancy Pelosi an animal. This came after uh, or within hours of her appearance on CNN, in which she got choked up, Rick, talking about learning of uh, Paul Pelosi being attacked. She said this would impact her decision, though, to retire. She wouldn't say what it was. But does this embolden her or make her want to call it quits? Well, certainly um, she's used to being insulted by Donald Trump. So whether or not it even makes a bit of difference uh, would surprise me. Mm -hmm. I I think she's very much focused on her family and what's going on at home right now. Uh, Obviously, her legacy plays an important role in what she does from this point on. 
Uh, and look, I mean, Donald Trump is going to be Donald Trump, and, and you can never expect anything more from yeah. him than what you just heard. Does Nancy Pelosi retire next, Jeannie? I think she does. This and is it? I, I think she does, and I wow. think Trump's uh, use of this phrase is what authoritarian leaders do. They dehumanize, and he's trying to do that. The best panel in the business, they're with us in our special election night coverage on Bloomberg TV and radio starting 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Rick and Jeannie, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.